Section 52 of Cambridge Medieval History, Volume 1 This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Peter Dan Cambridge Medieval History, Volume 1, Section 52, Chapter 15, Part 1 The Kingdom of Italy under Odovacar and Theodoric by Maurice Dumoulin. The time between the years 476 and 526 is a period of transition from the system of twin empires which existed from the time of Arcadius and Honorius to the separation of Italy from the rest of the empire. It is for this reason an interesting period. It marks the surrender by Constantinople of a certain measure of autonomy to that portion of the empire which finding that government under the faction set up after the death of Theodosius was impossible, had ended by submission to rulers nominated from Byzantium. It marks, too, the progress achieved by the barbarians, who, far from wishing to destroy a state of things which had formerly been hostile, adapted themselves to it readily when they had once risen to power and showed themselves as careful of its traditions as their predecessors. It marks, further, the preponderant part played in the affairs of the time by a growing power, the Church, and the adaptability shown by her in dealing with kings who were heretics and avowed followers of Arius. The attempt to found an Italian kingdom was destined to speedy failure. There were too many obstacles in the way of its permanent establishment. Justinian, it is true, was to show himself capable of giving effectual support to the claims of Byzantium and of making an end of the Ostrogothic kingdom. But even his authority was powerless to bring about the union of the two portions of the Roman Empire. Another barbarian race, the Lombards, shared with the Papacy, the one authority which emerged victorious from these struggles, the possession of a country which, owing to the irreconcilable nature of the lay and the religious elements, was destined to recover only in modern times unity, peace, and that consciousness of a national existence which is the sole guarantee of permanence. Cassiodorus writes in his chronicle, In the consulate of Basiliscus and Amatus, Orestes and his brother Paulus were slain by Odovacar. The latter took the title of king, albeit he wore not the purple, nor assumed the insignia of royalty. We have here, in the concise language of an analyst intent on telling much in a few words, the history of a revolution which appears to us, at this distance of time, to have been pregnant with consequences. The emperor, that Romulus Augustulus, whose associated names have so often served to point a moral, is not mentioned. It was left to Giordanes alone, a century later, to make any reference to him. The seizure of the supreme power by military leaders of barbarian origin had become since the time of Arisima a recognised process. It is, moreover, Orestes who was attacked by Odovacar, and Orestes was a simple patrician, and in no sense clothed with the imperial dignity. The empire itself suffered no change, it was merely that one more barbarian had come to the front. 
It was only when Odovacar was to set up pretensions to independent and sovereign authority that analysts and chroniclers were to accord him special mention on the ground that his claim was without precedent. Up to that point, his intervention was only one among many similar events which occurred in this period. Orestes was of Pannonian origin. He had acted as secretary to Attila, and whether Deco had taken a chief part in frustrating the conspiracy organised by Theodosius II against the life of the King of the Huns. After the death of the barbarian king, he entered the service of Anthemius, who appointed him commander of the household troops. He took part, under what circumstances we are ignorant, in the struggles which brought about the fall and the murder of Anthemius, an emperor imposed from Constantinople the elevation and death of Olybrius, the short-lived rule of the Burgundian Gundobad, and the elevation of Glycerius. For the second time the East imposed an Augustus on the West, and Leo appointed Julius Nepos to rule at Rome. Under his reign, Orestes, who had been promoted to the rank of commander-in-chief, was charged with the task of transferring Auvergne to the Visigoth king Euric, to whom it had been ceded by the Roman government. How it came about that Orestes, instead of leading his army to Gaul, led it against Ravenna, and who induced him to attack Nepos, we have no documentary evidence to show. Nepos fled and retired to Salona, where he found his predecessor Glycerius, whom he had appointed to be bishop of that place. Having achieved this success, Orestes proclaimed as the new emperor Romulus Augustus, his son by the daughter of Count Romulus, a Roman noble. Even as Orestes had driven out Nepos, another barbarian, Odovacar, was before long to drive out Orestes and his son, and once more the contemporary documents afford no plausible explanation of this fresh revolution. Odovacar was a Rugian, the son of that Adico, Attila's general and minister. Odovacar had followed his father's colleague into Italy, where he occupied the humble position of spearman in the household troop, from which he gradually rose to higher rank. Whether the ambition which fired him was provoked by the spectacle of the internal conflicts in which he took part, or whether by the prediction of Saint Severinus, the apostle of Noricum, it is impossible to say. It is, however, certain that in the lives of the saints there is a record to the effect that Severinus, in his hermitage of Favianum, was visited one day by certain barbarians who asked for his benediction before going to seek their fortunes in Italy, and one of them, scantily clad in the skins of beast, was of so lofty a stature that he was compelled to stoop in order to pass through the low doorway of the cell. The monk observed the movement and exclaimed, Go forward into Italy. Today thou art clothed in sorry skins, but ere long thou shalt distribute great rewards to many people. The man whom Severinus thus designated for supreme rule was Odovacar, the son of Edico. He appears to have enjoyed great popularity amongst the mercenary troops, and profiting by their discontent at the failure of Orestes to reward their devotion, he induced them to take active measures and gain to his side the barbarians of Liguria and the Trentino. 
Orestes declined the combat offered by Adovakar in the plains of Lodi, retreated behind the Lambro with the object of covering Pavia, and shortly afterward shut himself up in that city. Odovacar laid siege to him there, and Pavia, which, as Anodius tells us, had been pillaged by the soldiers of Orestes, was sacked by the troops of Odovacar. Orestes was delivered up to Odovacar, who had him put to death, 28th August, 476. Odovacar next marched on Ravenna, which was defended by Paulus, the brother of Orestes, and where Romulus had taken refuge. In a chance encounter which took place in a pine forest close to the city, Paulus was killed and Odovacar occupied Ravenna, which had taken the place of Rome as the favourite residence of the Caesars of the West. Romulus, who had hidden himself and cast off the fatal purple, was brought before him. Odovacar, taking pity on his youth and moved by his beauty, consented to spare his life. He moreover granted him a revenue of 6,000 gold solidi and assigned him as his residence the Lucilanum, a villa in Campania near Cape Misenum, which had been built by Marius and decorated by Lucullus. In succession to three emperors of the West who still survived, Glycerius and Nepos in Dalmatia and Romulus in Campania, Odovacar, styled by Jordanes king of the Rugians, by the anonymous Valacii king of the Tursilingi, and by other authorities prince of the Skiri, now wielded supreme power. At this point certain questions arise as to the nature of the authority which he exercised and to his relations with Byzantium and the established powers in Italy. The documents which supply an answer are scanty, the passages devoted to Odovacar give no details except such as relate to the beginning and end of his reign. It is plain too that the Latin writers of the time were more intent on pleasing Theodoric than on recording the facts of history. Cassiodorus has been careful to point out that Odovacar refused altogether to assume the imperial insignia and the purple robe and was content with the title of king. These events took place when Basiliscus, having driven Zeno from power, was reigning as emperor of the east, that is, at the moment of dynastic trouble in the other half of the empire. The possession of Ravenna, the exile of Romulus, and the death of Orestes did not suffice to secure to Adovacar the lordship of Italy. It was only after his formal entry into Rome and his tacit recognition by the Senate that he could look upon his authority as finally established. He was not, however, satisfied with this, but desired a formal appointment by the emperor and the recognition of his authority by Constantinople. A palace conspiracy which broke out in 477, having replaced Zeno on the throne of Byzantium, the ex-sovereign Romulus Augustulus, in spite of the fact that never having been formally recognised by the emperor, he had no legal claim to take such a step, sent certain senators as an embassy to Zeno. The representatives of the senate were instructed to inform the emperor that Italy had no need of a separate ruler, and that the autocrat of the two divisions of the empire sufficed as emperor for both, 
that Odovakar, moreover, in virtue of his political capacity and military strength, was fully competent to protect the interests of the Italian diocese, and under these circumstances they prayed that Zeno would recognise the high qualities of Odovakar by conferring on him the title of patrician and by entrusting him with the government of Italy. The emperor's reply was truly diplomatic. After severely censuring the Senate for the culpable indifference they had shown with respect to the murder of Anthemius and the expulsion of Nepos, two sovereigns who had been sent by the East to rule in Italy, he declared to the ambassadors that it was their business to decide on the course to be pursued. Certain members of the legation represented more especially the interests of Odovacar, and to them the emperor declared that he fully approved of the conduct of the barbarian in adopting Roman manners, and that he would forthwith bestow on him the well-merited title of patrician if Nepos had not already done so. Footnote. This is the first allusion to the promotion of Odovacar to the important office which, during the reign of Nepos, had been filled by Orestes. End footnote and he gave them a letter for a Dovacar in which he granted him the dignity in question. Zeno, in short, had to recognise the fate accompli, the more so as the ambassadors from Rome to Byzantium had there found themselves in the presence of another mission sent from Dalmatia by Nepos to beg for the deposed sovereign the assistance of the newly restored emperor. He, however, could only condole with him on his lot and point out its similarity to that from which he himself had just escaped. There is yet another proof of the tacit recognition of Odovacar's authority. In 480, Nepos was assassinated by the counts Victor and Ovida, or Odiva, and in 481, as if he had been the legitimate heir of a predecessor whose death it was his duty to avenge, Odovacar led an expedition against the murderers, defeated and slew Ovida, and restored Dalmatia to the Italian diocese. More than this, Odovacar looked upon himself as the formally appointed representative of Zeno, for at the time of the revolt of Illus he refused to aid the latter, who had applied to him as well as to the kings of Persia and Armenia for assistance against the emperor. He had already exercised sovereign power in the cession of Narbonne to the Visigoths of Uric and in the conclusion of a treaty with Gaiseric in 477, by the terms of which the king of the Vandals restored Sicily to the Italians, subject to the payment of a tribute, and retaining possession of a castle which he had built on the island. This is all we know, till Theodoric appears upon the scene, of the achievements of Odovacar. With respect to his relations with the inhabitants of Italy, we are better informed. In and after 482, the regular record of consuls, interrupted since 477, was resumed. The Roman administration continued to work as in the past. There was a praetorian prefect, Pelagius, who, like so many of his predecessors, contrived to exact contributions on his own behalf as well as on behalf of the state. The relations between Odovacar and the Senate were so intimate that together and in their joint names they set up statues to Zeno in the city of Rome. Between the church and Odovacar, albeit he was an Arian, no difficulties arose. The Pope Simplicius, 468-483, to recognised the authority of Odovacar, 
and the king preserved excellent relations with Epiphanius, Bishop of Pavia, and with St. Severinus, whose requests he was accustomed to treat with marked deference and respect. On the death of Simplicius in March 483, a meeting of the Senate and clergy took place, and on the proposition of the Praetorian Prefect and Patrician Basilius, it was resolved that the election of a new Pope should not take place without previous consultation with the representative of King Odovacar, as he is styled without addition in the report of the proceedings. Further, future popes were bidden in the name of the king and under threat of anathema to refrain from alienating the possessions of the church. The picture of Italy under the government of Odovacar is difficult to trace. We have no Cassiodorus to preserve for us the terms of the decrees which he signed. Our only source of information, the works of Anodius, is by no means free from suspicion. If we are to believe the Bishop of Pavia, it was the evil one in person who inspired Adovacar with the ambition to reign. That he was a destroyer, populator intestinus, that his fall was a veritable relief, and that Theodoric was a deliverer. In short, that Adovacar was a tyrant in the full sense of the word. It must be remembered that it is the panegyrist of Theodoric who speaks in these terms. The word tyrant which he employs must be understood as the Byzantine historians understood it in its Greek sense, that is, in the sense of an authority set up out of the ordinary course. The specific charges of tyranny which are made against Odovacar are unconvincing, especially the accusation that he distributed amongst his soldiers a third of the land of Italy. We will deal later with the part played by Theodoric. It is not among these events that we must look for the cause of the fall of Adovacar. The only possible explanation lies in the fact that the Italians obeyed with alacrity, so soon as they were made clear, the orders of Constantinople on domestic affairs, holding themselves free to disobey them later on. And it was by the formal and specific authority of the Emperor that Theodoric was sent into Italy. Theodoric, an Amal by birth, was the son of Theodomir, king of the Goths, and his wife Erelieva. His father had discharged the duties of a paid warden of the marches on the northern frontiers of the Empire of the East. Theodoric, having been sent to Constantinople as a hostage, spent his childhood and youth in that city. He stood high in the favour of the Emperor Leo, and became deeply imbued with Greek civilization. His education cannot, however, have advanced very far, as when he reigned in Italy he was unable to sign his name, and was compelled therefore to trace with his pen the first four letters cut out for the purpose in a sheet of gold. On the death of his father, having in his turn become king, Theodoric established his headquarters in Moesia, and found himself involved in a chronic struggle with a Gothic chief, Theodoric, the Squinter. Theodoric Strabo, who aspired to the kingly dignity. To accomplish this purpose, Theodoric Strabo relied on the goodwill of the Eastern emperors. Having thrown in his lot with Basiliscus, he helped him to drive Zeno from the throne and received rewards in the shape of money and military rank. 
But when Zeno returned to power, it was Theodoric the Amal who, in virtue of his fidelity, stood highest in the imperial favour. Adopted by the emperor, loaded with wealth and raised to patrician dignity, he enjoyed from 475 to 479 great influence at the Byzantine court. He was given the command of an expedition sent to chastise Strabo, who had risen in revolt, and found his rival encamped in the Hemus. The men of each army were of kindred race, and Theodoric the Amal was compelled by his soldiers to form a coalition with the enemy. Till the death of Strabo, which occurred in 481, the two Theodorics intrigued together against the emperor, and with the emperor against each other, and there followed a series of reconciliations and mutual betrayals. From that time forward, Theodoric the Amal became a formidable power. He held Dacia and Mosia, and it was necessary to treat him with respect. Zeno nominated him for consul in 483, and in 484 he filled that office. It was in this capacity that he subdued the rebels Illus and Leontius, and on this ground he was granted in 486 the honour of a triumph and an equestrian statue in one of the squares of Byzantium. This accumulation of dignities conferred by Zeno concealed the distrust which he felt, and which before long he made manifest by sending Theodoric into Italy. Giordanes maintained that it was Theodoric himself who conceived the plan of the conquest of Italy, and that, in a long speech addressed to the emperor, he depicted the sufferings of his own nation which was then quartered in Illyria, and the advantages which would accrue to Zeno in having as his vice-regent a son instead of a usurper, and a ruler who would hold his kingdom by the imperial bounty. Certain authors, such as the anonymous Valesii and Paulus Diaconus, have transformed this permission granted by the emperor into a formal treaty, giving to Theodoric the assurance, says the former, that he should reign in the place of Odovacar, and recommending him, says the latter, after formally investing him with the purple, to the good graces of the senate. The explanation given by Procopius and adopted by Giordanes in another passage is, however, more plausible. Zeno, better pleased that Theodoric should go into Italy than that he should remain close at hand and in the neighbourhood of Byzantium, sent him to attack Odovacar. A similar method had been pursued with Widemir and Ataulf in order to remove them to a distance from Rome. In any case, it was in the name of the emperor that Theodoric acted and he held his power by grant from him. The title which he bore when he started from Constantinople, that of patrician, sufficed in his own opinion and that of Zeno to legalise his power and to clothe him with the necessary authority. It was the same rank as that borne by Odovacar. Later, like Odovacar, he aspired to something higher, and like him he was to fail in his attempts to obtain it, Zeno had no intention of yielding up his rights over Italy, and recognised no other than himself as the lawful heir of Theodosius. In 488, Theodoric crossed the frontier at the head of his Goths. It was the first step in the conquest which took five years to complete. Odovacar opposed him at the head of an army not less formidable but less homogeneous than that of his adversary. He was defeated on the Isonzo, he retreated on Verona, 
was once more beaten and fled to Ravenna. Theodoric profited by this error of tactics to make himself master of Lombardy, and Tufa, Odovacar's lieutenant in that district, came over to his side. This was merely a stratagem, as when Tufa was sent with a picked body of Goths to attack Odovacar, he rejoined him with his Ostrogoths at Faventia. In 490, Odovacar again took the offensive. He sallied from Cremona, retook Milan, and shut up Theodoric in Pavia. The latter would have been destroyed if the arrival of the Visigoths of Widomir and a diversion made by the Burgundians in Liguria had not left him free to rout Odovacar in a second battle on the Adder and to pursue him up to the walls of Ravenna. In August 490, Theodoric camped in the pine forest which Odovacar had occupied in his campaign against Orestes, and a siege began which was to last three years. In 491, Odovacar made a sortie in which, after a first success, he was finally defeated and the siege became a blockade. Theodoric, while keeping the enemy under observation, proceeded to capture other towns and to form various alliances. He seized Rimini and so destroyed the means of provisioning Ravenna, after which he opened negotiations with the Italians. Without asserting that Theodoric owed all his success to the Church, the facts show pretty clearly that she afforded him, Arian though he was, like Odovacar, valuable assistance. It was Bishop Laurentius who opened for him the gates of Milan, and it was he who, after the treason of Tufa, held for him that important city. Epiphanius, Bishop of Pavia, acted in a similar fashion. In a letter written in 492, Pope Galatius takes credit to himself for having resisted the orders of Odovacar, and finally it was another bishop, John of Ravenna, who induced Odovacar to treat. Theodoric, like Clovis, understood to the full the advantages which would accrue to him from the good offices of the Church. From his first arrival in Italy he showed in his attitude towards her the greatest consideration and tact. He was lavish in promises, he took pains to conciliate, and he did not despise the use of flattery. Thus, when he saw Epiphanius for the first time, he is said to have exclaimed, Behold a man who is not his peer in the East, to look upon him as a prize, to live beside him security. Again, he entrusts his mother and his sister to the care of the Bishop of Pavia, an act of high policy by which he added to the friendly feelings already exhibited towards him. The conquest of Italy was practically achieved between 490 and 493, and the various members of the nobility, such as Festus and Faustus Niger, and the chief senators rallied to his cause. With the capitulation of Odovacar, which took place at this latter date, the victory of Theodoric was complete. End of section 52